0: Frank Gore retired this month after 16 NFL seasons, his first 10 coming with the 49ers. Gore entered the NFL after an injury-plagued college career. He ended up becoming one of the most durable and dependable running backs of his era. The man responsible for selecting Gore in the 2005 draft, former 49ers general manager Scott McLuhan, relives that decision and reflects on what allowed Gore to thrive in all facets of the game. One of the most popular players to ever wear a 49ers uniform, Gore retired as a number three all time leading rusher in NFL history. McLuhan also shares his thoughts on the 49ers 2022 draft class and how he would handle the team's quarterback situation. This summer, with Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance, Jennifer Lee Chan and I check our Twitter mailbag to answer some questions along the way. All that and more coming up right now on 49ers Talk. Welcome to another edition of 49ers Talk on NBCSportsBayArea.com. Introducing your host, Matt Mayoko. I'm Matt Mayoko. She's Jennifer Lee Chan, and this is 49ers Talk, brought to you by Big O Tires. And I don't know that it was a bucket list item, Jennifer, but I crossed a major, major landmark off my checklist because can you believe I'm a California native? I've been to many national parks, maybe six or eight. Mm -hmm. I'd never been to Yosemite until this last weekend, Father's Day weekend.
1: I actually have not been either. And I've.
0: Yes, Yeah, but I know. you're not a native of California, <laughs> True, you're, but
1: I've, I've lived you, here longer than I've lived anywhere else at this point. Yeah.
0: So you grew up in Washington state. Mm-hmm,
1: that is correct. Uh,
0: and so at least you had that going for you. <laughs> have you been to the uh, Olympia national forest? I have. Okay. There you go. Well, you've yes. been to your closest national park. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so finally went to Yosemite national park and I have 49ers talk to credit for that.
1: Wow. Do tell this story.
0: Yeah. So several months ago, I'd say maybe even many months ago, I'd mentioned on here that I'd never been to Yosemite. Mm
1: -hmm. And I
0: think Laura was kind of giving me grief about that. And then shortly thereafter, I received a, a note from somebody, a loyal listener, of 49ers Talk, who said, I have a winery in Mariposa. We're right outside of Yosemite. Love to have you and your family come and, and I ran it by the family and they're all like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, but then I didn't want to push it. Right. So I just kind of like, you know, I'm not going to go back and go, Hey, you know, what about that offer? And so probably about two months ago, uh, Jason Smith at Castro Oaks in Mariposa reached back out to me and said, okay, if you still want to come, let's talk about some dates.
1: Oh, wow. I said,
0: Okay. Here are the dates. And we did it. And we had a phenomenal time.
1: That is very cool. Yeah.
0: Great hikes, great scenery. Uh, the wine was great too. Yeah. <laughs> company well, was that, great. that helps. It definitely helped. Yeah. So fantastic time uh, going to Yosemite. And now we're back in the grind of things. And uh, we got, by the way, a special guest coming up on 49ers Talk, Scott McLuhan. Ever since Frank Gore signed his contract with the team and then retired as a member of the team, I've been like, oh, you know what? I need to get Scott McLuhan on because really Frank Gore would not be with the 49ers. He would not have been with the 49ers if it weren't for Scott McLuhan, kind of taking a leap of faith and really falling for Frank Gore, the football player, the person. Mm -hmm. And they took him in the third round of the 2005 draft. And so Frank Gore uh, destined at some point for the Hall of Fame. And so we talked to, Scott McLuhan about Frank Gore and his journey, as well as the current 49ers. So that's coming up a little bit later. In the meantime, I also asked for some questions. And I did, I don't know if you saw this. Well, I I, um, tagged you, of course, but I said, ask us anything. Can't guarantee we'll answer anything, but ask us anything. And so we did get some really good questions, but I kind of like this first one, because it really is an ask anything kind of question. Mm -hmm. And this comes from G.R. Wooten. Did Jennifer Lee Chan make it to Henley for the Henley Royal regatta back in her rowing days? And then as a parenthetical controversial fact, Dan Snyder has a connection with the town. And so what some people might not know about you, you revealed recently that you have Mm -hmm. a background as a professional wrestler. (laughs) What less people know about you is that you went to the University of Southern California for rowing, correct?
1: Well, I went there and was on the rowing team, but it was previous or prior to them offering scholarships for those positions. So I actually went to USC on an academic scholarship. But oh, then, look at you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I was a total nerd in high school. All I did was study and do activities. So Uh, I had a a, academic scholarship to USC, joined the rowing team because in Washington, rowing is huge, right? There's Puget Sound, like you go to the Seahawks game, Lake Washington's there, there's water everywhere. So everybody rows up in Washington state on the West side, Puget Sound area. So I had a little experience doing that. I ended up being the coxswain for the women's rowing team at USC. And that's the
0: person with the megaphone that yells.
1: That is correct. Well, actually, it's, it's a little bit more high tech than that. And you've got a little mic and there are speakers okay. throughout the boat. So I don't have to yell eight people deep.
0: Yeah, I think I'm looking, I'm thinking of like those, uh, those rowing movies, like where the 1920s Olympics <laughs> or something and the person has the little megaphone. Right, right. Yeah, so it's a little bit more high tech.
1: Exactly. So, uh, I was on the rowing team there and we didn't actually make it to the Henley. I rode up and down the coast, um, Washington, Oregon, Northern California, uh, Pacific coast championships were at Lake Natoma near Sacramento, uh, San Diego crew classic in San Diego. So mostly on the West coast. Uh, but that was always a goal to race internationally and we oh. didn't do it, but, in um,
0: Henley, the Henley Royal regatta is in the UK, correct? It is.
1: It is. Okay. And the connection to Dan Snyder is that he actually, in his formative years, went to school there for two years while his family lived there. So he was there for I think somewhere in junior high or he right prior to junior high. So around sixth, seventh grade, yeah, something I, around I, there.
0: Let's, i say the less we talk about Dan Snyder, the better <laughs> on hours talk. So let's move on moving along. Well, uh, I can, I, I can
1: return it. So okay. uh, the rowing team at USC was a varsity sports. So we worked out in the same facility as the USC football players. So my not connection to football, not only was with my grandfather, my father, who were huge 49ers fans and had season tickets and kind of taught me to love football. But then I got to know the football players at USC, lived in the same dorms as some of them. And that made my connection to football even closer, followed all of them that I knew going to the NFL and then just became an even bigger fan.
0: Wow. And wasn't Tim Ryan one of those football players you knew back in the day?
1: Yes. Yes. A little older than me, but yes. And Tim Ryan
0: just going straight in for the uh, (laughs) age shaming of Tim Ryan, the 49ers analyst on the radio.
1: (laughs) Tim Ryan had a mullet at that time. And he has a mullet. again. (laughs) No, he has a ponytail now. Doesn't he have a ponytail? Anyways, he had a mullet back then and he would wear a mesh half shirt to work out. And he had also a giant um, what some people call a porn stash, but he had a giant bushy mustache, okay. a mesh half shirt and a mullet. It was okay. quite a sight. I,
0: I think we really need to, uh, <laughs> dial this back a little bit. <laughs> um, let's go into like some football stuff and we got right. some non non football stuff too, but this one is scriptum three. Um, this person says at least to me it feels like there's a line a log jam at certain position groups specifically linebacker could there be a surprising move such as trading Dre Greenlaw or Aziz Alshire upcoming and that's one I've thought about quite a bit and I was actually thinking that there would be a decent chance that something could happen around the draft because they have three starting linebackers, right? Three starting mm-hmm. caliber linebackers. And, you know, they're going to keep Fred Warner for the long haul. We know that mm-hmm. they signed him to the long-term contract extension. But Drake Greenlaw and Aziz Alshire are basically coming up now where they can only keep one of them. And it's, it might even be difficult to pay, you know, even pay one of them. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it, it would it would be surprising, yes, but mm-hmm. would it shock me? No, but I think I think that ship has sailed because I I would have thought that they would have wanted to do that if they're going to do that to do it in this draft, but but maybe not. Um, so both those guys are entering the final years of their contracts, and you know, in today's NFL, only two linebackers play all downs. And so those money downs on third down, one of those guys is leaving the field, Greenlaw Mm -hmm. or Al Shire. So I I, I would say it's a certainty that not both of those guys will be back in 2023. And it might be difficult to even keep one of those, uh, depending on what the market holds for for both of those gentlemen. So would it shock me? No, I don't think it would.
1: I understand where you're coming from but then I also think back to last year where they dealt with so many injuries at the linebacker position right so Dre Greenlaw was in and out he had the groin injury obviously he should be better this season and be healthier and be back to his normal self but there were so many injuries Aziz had an injury as well Um, so I mean both those guys if they can stay healthy yes but if it you know, knock on wood that they stay healthy through the season. But if it turns out to be anywhere close to what it was like last year, where their injuries just depleted that position wise to keep them.
0: Yeah. I I would say that the reason why you wouldn't even think about trading either one of those players is what you just touched on, right. Mm -hmm. With the 17 game season, right. There's going to be attrition. And so, you know, theoretically, if Greenlaw gets injured, like he did a lot of last season, Mm -hmm. um, you know, basically that injury week one, and he's knocked out for at least half the year, you know, then you can, you don't lose much at all by going to Alshire. Same thing. If the foreigners lose Alshire for a period of weeks, they don't lose anything uh, with Greenlaw. But if you traded one of those guys away, then there kind of goes your safety net. So right, I, I, I certainly wouldn't expect it, but I would understand it if it mm-hmm. came to that. Um, right. Carlos Zarur, ask, uh, do you see the team making any significant trades in parentheses outside of Jimmy G to fill a position in need? I'd say, no, I I don't, I don't think there really is a position of need other than center, but I I don't know that they'd be able to trade for a center. Mm -hmm. If, if a team had a center, you know, had this unbelievable surplus of centers that they were stockpiling, um, you know, to trade you know, potentially, but I don't think that's the case. So no, I think the the team you see now with the 49ers is basically the team you're going to have. And I, I don't, I don't think they need much at all. Um, as far as positions of need, other than, you know, that one position, I just noted. So my, my thought would be there will be no trades unless it's the 49ers sending someone somewhere else, not them receiving somebody.
1: Yeah. It doesn't seem likely at this point. I mean, really, most significant trades would have been done already prior to the draft, because that's what you're trading for, right? You're trading for draft capital that helps you out for the season. And you look at where the team is. The one position that they needed to upgrade was the secondary. And they did that with Trevor Harris they did it through the draft. So right now, I mean, I would think, and it sounds like John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are pretty satisfied with where the roster is at this point.
0: Um, we promised a non-sports question. Uh, so here it is. Uh Rory Robarge asks, is GIF um is it pronounced with a hard G or a J sound? So in other words, is GIF is it pronounced GIF or jif And I I have the answer to this. Would you like to though give it a, a shot there, Jennifer?
1: Well, I've heard that the creator of it. Wanted it to be pronounced GIF. I am a GIF sayer, but also meme. So, so you're a GIF,
0: you're a GIF denier.
1: I am, but I like the peanut butter.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, a little bit too creamy for me, but yeah. um, but here's my thought. Yes, you're right. I did a little bit of research. Steve Wilhite, he invented this. Mm-hmm. He created it's called a a GIF or GIF is short for graphics interchange format. So I know that Will height when he was presented with his uh, Lifetime Achievement Award at the uh, 2013 Webbies, he put up there that it's pronounced GIF. But if the first word is graphics, G, graphics, mm-hmm. it's got to be GIF. Spokane Niner 25 asked this question. And this is a great question. Earlier in the off season, John Lynch said that the 49ers had been spinning in the top 10 in the past four or five years. So they needed to dial it back this offseason. So Spokane nine or 25 says, how can we legitimately consider ourselves a contender when we admitted, we cut back on spending. It just doesn't make sense. Now that's, that's dramatic, right?
1: It, it is. But did they really cut back on spending because they're continuing to spend? They just didn't have a lot of le- left over to spend more, right? The salary cap went down last year. It did go up this year. They've got a lot of salary to, I mean, already on their right. ledger. More
0: committed to the future. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So- and also they're going to be spending for Debo Samuel this year and probably Nick Bosa next year. Yes. One quick note on Nick Bosa, Joey, his brother, did not sign his mega deal until after his fourth season with the chargers. And so Bosa Nick is entering his fourth season with the 49ers. So I would expect that that big contract will be happening next offseason, but still you got the Debo Samuel deal mm-hmm. that's coming up right here. Um, here's a fun fact that I did not know, but I just looked this up. The Rams were actually near the bottom of the league in spending, in actual cash spending last offseason. Or not last offseason, just last season, period, the 2021 season. This year, the Rams are at the very top of the list right now. And so even in 2019, when the 49ers went through the Super Bowl, the 49ers Mm -hmm. had the most cash spending as any team in the league. And you know who had the lowest? The Kansas City Chiefs, the team that beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. So wow. basically, if you're spinning over the cash, uh, over the cap, mm-hmm. <laughs> if the, your cash spending is more than the salary cap, and it continues to be that way, that means at some point that credit card spending, the, the bill's going to come due, and mm-hmm. you're going to have to make some slash and burn stuff to your, to your roster. So um, I totally understand the question, but the fact of the matter is that- the teams that continue to spend higher than the salary cap, um, those are teams that at some point will, will have to swallow hard because it's going to come due. And the Rams have structured their contracts in a lot of ways um, that it's going to come due for them. They, they keep pushing it out there. Yeah. But I mean, you can't argue with their results because. Mm-hmm. They got the Lombardi trophy right. and no other team did. So it's, it's not, it's not as dire as, as uh, it sounds or, or the way that question was posed because the mm-hmm. players have been spending a lot of money and all you have to do is look at it and go with Trent Williams, highest paid right. left tackle, mm-hmm. George Kittle, highest paid tight end. you know, Devo Samuel will be one of the highest mm-hmm. paid wide receivers, Fred Warner, Fred Warner, one of the highest paid linebackers. Kyle Juszczyk, the highest paid fullback.
1: And Jimmy Garoppolo's contract is not small either.
0: No, it's not. It's not at all. So anyway, that's where that stands. And uh, yeah, we got some great questions. We got so many great questions that because we had a guest in Scott McLuhan, we're probably going to hold some of those questions, uh, more of the football questions for our next podcast. But when we return after this word from Big O Tires, we're going to talk to Scott McLuhan about Frank Gore and a lot more.
1: Big O Tires proudly sells its own brand of Big O Brand Tires. Now through July 10th, save $100 instantly on select sets of four Big O Brand Tires with paid installation. Plus save an additional $50 when using your Big O credit card. See your locally owned Big O Tire store for offer details.
0: All right, we are back on 49ers Talk and it is my pleasure to bring in the former 49ers general manager, the man who is... Ultimately, he's responsible, singularly responsible for bringing Frank Gore to the 49ers organization. It's Scott McLuhan. Scott, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Thank you for having me. It's an honor.
0: Hey, Scott, I, I just think back, you know, Frank Gore, when you drafted him and now to look at him all these years later, he signs a, a one day contract basically with the 49ers on June 2nd, announces his retirement. First off, this guy always loved football so much and had such a passion for it. I can't believe he actually retired.
2: Well, it makes two of us. We've had, you know, we talk on a regular basis and have since, since, since I drafted him, of course, since I've left. And I, there was always times when he would bounce around with the Jets or whatever, going to different teams. And, you know, I knew he was gonna and I knew he wanted to, and I knew teams wanted him. Um, I didn't have the heart to tell him he's going the wrong direction from the standpoint of his talent. Mm-hmm. Um, I could never bring up the retirement word to him cause I respected him too much. I know he didn't want to hear it from me. Um, so I know he respects my opinion and so I, I couldn't do it. And then all of a sudden one day we were talking, and he brought it up and I'm like, wow. I said, well, you know, congratulations getting to that point. You know, of course, congratulations on your career. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Then next thing he says, well, I'm gonna start boxing. I'm like, Oh goodness. <laughs> so you can't. he's just so competitive he has to be involved so badly and which is one of the reasons why he's so unique as a football player and as a person um but yeah it was I was hoping because you know the last thing you want to see for anybody and especially with Frank is just to get hurt late in his career or something where it affects him going forward for the rest of his life and you know thank goodness that didn't happen um you know, and uh, but yeah, it was because I, I just couldn't have the heart because I wanted to talk to him about it, but I just couldn't do it. You know, I seem like a little bit of my son, you know, but I just couldn't bring up the hard word to him. Couldn't do it.
0: And I mean, what's interesting is, I mean, he just ended, you know, the last season he played was 2020. It sounds like he had opportunities last year to play for some team, Um, but to end it with like 16,000 yards exactly it is just kind of, I mean, it, it just, I don't know. It, it just uh, seems really cool. Cause I, I remember there were times I, I remember specifically preseason game. I'm on the sideline at Candlestick park, getting ready to you know, go down on the field after the game is a preseason game. And he comes over to me on the sideline and he says, Hey, do you think if I get 10,000 yards rushing, uh, I can, you know, there's, I have a chance of, of the hall of fame. And I say, yeah, I think you do. Well, he not only got 10,000 yards, he gets Six thousand yards more, and the the amazing thing, Scott, is that this was a guy that when he came into the league, I mean, you drafted him at the top of the third round, and the biggest knock on him was that he couldn't stay healthy.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. And and the thing about it wasn't just nick and knack little things; it was it was major surgeries. You know, um, you know, for a position he plays, a skill position where a lot involves. Shoulders, knees—you know—to to be a hundred percent. A lot of cutting, a lot of hitting, and and everybody knows the the average year, three years for a running back, whatever. Boom, boom, boom. Um, you know, the one thing nice about he came out early—he had a lot of touches in college, and and you know, the only reason because I remember speaking to him the night before the draft, and he said teams called him and said, "Listen, we're thinking, late one, you know, we're thinking two or whatever." And, and he asked me, and I said, "Honestly, Frank, I said I can't touch you until the third because you're medical." You know, the, the percentages are against you to fulfill your first contract and get a second contract. I said, but I promise you this, if you're there, we have the first pick and the third, I'll take you. He kind of chuckled. He said, I'm not going to be there. I said, well, you know, congratulations if you're not. But if you are, I'm very excited to bring you in here. Very excited. And of course it happened. And, you know, for him to play as long as he did. And it's unique because it doesn't matter how tough you are or how much God-given talents you have. Injuries are injuries. And we've seen many, many really good, talented players that love football, like Frank do, that don't last because of the medical. And it's a cry and shame, but it's part of the business. But for him to prove that was interesting. And I remember the one thing he told me when I first saw him face-to-face after we picked him, he said, I promise you, Scott, I'm not going to embarrass you. I will fulfill this draft class, meaning they'll all retire or be cut before I retire. Everybody drafted in front of me. So I promise you that. And I said, well, Frank, if that, that's great if that happens. I said, just give me your best. You know, if it's three years, if it's six years, that, that's all we need. You know. But for him to play as long as he did, it, you know, and for him to reach his goal, and his main goal was to outplay the rest of those guys in the draft class. And the last one that was standing was the Sproles. You know, and he wasn't really just a back, but he was kind of a gadget return type guy. But once he retired, I got phone calls As soon as he saw that and told me, said, I told you, Scott. I said, dang, Frank, you're a man of your word. And he was.
0: Wow. Well, I, I do want to talk about that draft class. But before that, I, what did you have to do? What was going on behind the scenes with the 49ers medical staff? And then you as well as the guy who you know ultimately made that pick of Frank Gore uh, with the you know, in the top of the third round, what was going on as far as the medical, you know, he, he, I know he tore an ACL his left ACL one year. He tore his right ACL the next year, but he also had the shoulder issues. So h- how could you justify taking a guy who was so banged up at that point in the draft?
2: Well, yeah, at first it was touch and go because we first got back from the combine. Um, his grade was basically a reject. Um, you know, and His I medical grade. Right my career from Ron Wolf. That Scott,
0: his medical grade was a re like don't it, it, even it. Draft it, it was
2: borderline. It, 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 and they're leaning because of position and that leaning towards being a reject grade. And and Ron Wolf, you know, my, my one of my first bosses, you know, he says you can listen. You have to listen to doctors. You have to listen to them because nine out of ten times they're going to be accurate if depending where you take him. Now I knew it was going to be close. Cause I knew, you know, both knees, I knew shoulder repair. I knew that. Um, and it was scary because the longevity of him, but his talent was so good that in the third round I was willing to swing, you know, and see what happens. And like I said, if I knew I could get his, just the fulfillment of four years, his first contract, I'd been happy with the pick at three. Now, two and one, of course, you want seconds, possibly third contracts. And, and the medical is huge coming out. But he was just wired to so right from a standpoint's mentality and his talent level because if he was not banged up, um, in my opinion, he would have been a first-round running back, you know, coming out, you know, because I, I saw him on the field when he was a freshman with two first-round picks that Miami had. you can tell the difference, not a difference at all. Matter of fact, you might have said he looked a little better with quickness and explosion in the hole. But, um, you know, it, it was, it, it, it's tough to go against the medicals. You're going to get burned more than you're not. But th- everything was so right with him that I was willing to swing. And I knew not just the football players coming in, the toughness, the passion. I wanted to start building that culture in the locker room. And I knew no matter what, he'd bring that for sure. In. And he'd play until they had to drag him off.
0: And we got lucky. Yeah. You know, just being in that locker room with him and seeing him almost on a daily basis there through, what, nine years. That's the thing that just every year, you know, you, the passion, the, the you know, the desire, uh, just the the smarts. Like, I mean, I don't know that I've ever been around a guy who knows football as well as he does. But you didn't know all of that, did you, before you drafted him? Like, what did you what? I mean, in order to take a guy with the medical issues that he had to take him where you did, you had to be convinced that he just had the mindset, the mentality, and all the off-the-field stuff that you wanted as far as the passion and the desire. How did you know that he was a special kind of guy?
2: Because, you know, when I, when I first saw him, I saw him live as a freshman. I was at the game in Miami. And it was a blowout game, and they had, I, I believe they had McGahee and Portis were in front of them. And, 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 you know, first, second, third quarter, they did their things. And fourth, fourth quarter, he came in. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm to look around. Who's this guy? He says, oh, he's a talented guy. He's, he's a freshman. I said, oh, shoot, he, you know, he looks pretty good, you know. All of a sudden, they give him the, they give him the rock. And it's like, whoa, he's a, he's a true freshman? And yeah. they're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Because I remember doing the same thing with Anquan Bolden. His You know, he came in as a quarterback. They made him receiver as a freshman. His first two catches, I at the game. Touchdowns. So those two are two unique guys Were first of all, physically and mentally, they fit right in at a young age on, especially Miami, a very good roster, a very talented roster. And you could see he was so passionate with that fourth quarter and those carries that he wanted to prove that he's better and he wanted to play in front of him. You know, same thing he did his first year coming in with Barlow. He said, they ain't, they ain't even close, Scott. He says these coaches will figure it out eventually. Same thing they did in Miami. They finally figured it out. But that's just who he is, you know, so – but, but but again, I thought in the third round, hands down, it was worth it. Of, and, and I know a couple other teams, and I don't know if they're just telling me after the fact, but they said they would both take them in the third too. Maybe they would have, maybe they wouldn't. But I also know a lot of teams that had them rejected, medical reject, and, and that's fine. You know, that's that's part of the business. And when when we nailed it, and we got lucky.
0: Yeah, I just you know look at that 2005 draft. The thing that stands out to me is now there's a in the NFL teams just don't take running backs in the first round. I mean, it has to be an extraordinary situation for a running back to be selected in the first round, but in that draft, after you guys take Alex Smith, number one, it was Ronnie Brown, number two, Cedric Benson, number four, and Cadillac Williams, number five. So three running backs taken in the top five picks of the draft. And Oh, by the way, those three running backs, combined in their careers did not total frank Gore's yardage so what has changed like what do you think if that 2005 was redrafted with the same information that we have now or, or the same information that was being based on back then those running backs wouldn't go top five would they or just how is that how's the draft change from that standpoint
2: yeah yeah, they wouldn't have gone top five. I'm with you. Um, there's very unique individuals at any position that, that people call generational guys. Um, I call them immediate starters, immediate impact players. doesn't matter if it's a center, safety, running back. You see those guys, not just the talent, but the, the, the background, like Frank, the personality, the toughness, the work ethic, the passion. Then you definitely take those players there. But a lot of teams are going away from it because of the offenses and the fact that, you know, back then it was run to throw. Now it's throw to run, you know, meaning first, second down back then you, you, you're running the rock and, and I knew with, with the 49er team because come from Seattle playing them and I knew we were going to struggle up front and we needed to build up front and build up front. So I know we needed a back that can, that can do it, you know, and it's back then you'd say he'd have 20, 25 touches a game. Nowadays, if you take a back, you're like, almost like a receiver how many times is he going to be on the field? Is he going to be out there on third and five, third and eight? Are we going no backs? And we're going four receiver sets. Back then, of course, that wasn't going on. Um, but, and mention those three guys, my personal opinion in that draft, I would, Frank was more talented than all three of those guys. All three of them, and if Frank wasn't wasn't hurt, Frank would have been put above them on the board. And the only reason Frank was in the third and, 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 and had a designation of medical is because of that. Um, but the game changes. I wouldn't be surprised in ten years from now it's back to the big uglies up front and and, and you know two three yards in cloud of dust you know because I think when you see these playoff teams it's nice to see you know the one back set and three receivers and the fans see the points and the yards and all that but you get back in those cold weather games and stuff you need backs and and I think you know honestly you need two backs and the game changes as you're well aware but but there's still football players at every position if they're unique and they're gonna bring in starting right away and a game changer right away you take them you know and I, I don't think people see the touches enough for the backs or the catches out of the backfield enough to have the same impact as they did when Frank was coming out
0: yeah so there's two points of Frank Gore that I mean we all know he, he ranks number three all-time NFL rushing list behind Emmitt Smith and Walter Payton there's two elements of Frank's game that I think are underrated. One is the pass catching because there were years where he was used a lot out of the backfield catching passes and he finished with almost 500 yard or 500 uh, career receptions. Those numbers catching out of the backfield really dropped uh, when Jim Harbaugh and Greg Roman came in, they just didn't use him in that way. But the other part is pass protection and blitz pickup. I mean, can you speak to, especially the second, because Everybody remembers him for the 16,000 yards rushing. But I remember, you know, like a uh, joint practice against the Raiders in Napa where he's begging to get on the field for one-on-one blitz pickup drills. And he's just destroying guys left and right. And it almost was as if he took more pride in blitz pickup than he did when he had the football in his hands.
2: You know, it's unique to bring that up because that's one of the things – to his, to his last year, he played in the NFL. Every offseason, he'd call me and say, what, what can I improve upon? What can I work on? To, to, to his last season. And then that's just who he is and what he is now. He's wired. But I remember after the first season, I told him, I said, listen, bud, I know you weren't taught technique. I know you weren't taught the importance. Um, and it's not just being physical, but identifying, you know, you know, on third downs. You know, where's the blitz coming from? or, or you know, they're going to deke this. They're going to bring that. I said, you have to. To be an all-around back, you have to improve that no matter what. I said, it's going to be tough from a standpoint. You don't want to be real physical in the offseason. You want to save yourself. I said, just start watching tape. You know, go back and watch the Walter Payton. Go back and watch the Herschel Walkers, the guys that were good at it. And just watch your technique. And, and I said, I'm not worried about your toughness. I'm not worried about your base, your power to do it. I said, but take pride in it, just like you do when running the ball. I said, because that will separate you from other backs. And, and he came back after that first year, like you're talking about, the NAP and stuff. I mean, he lived for it, you know. That was just him. And then after that year, you know, he's, he's asking, you know, every season he wanted something to improve upon. And whatever I would say to him or whoever, Rathman, whoever talked to him about it, he'd take pride in that in that offseason to prove that he could come back and show us that he did it and got better at it. And that's what makes him unique. He didn't take time off. I mean, he's always working to get better at something.
0: So, you know, Frank Gore will be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, no question. You know, the the question that I get from a lot of people, will it be first ballot? And I, I don't know the answer to that. I know he has my vote. But, you know, the one thing about the Pro Football Hall of Fame is only five modern era guys can go in every year. That's tops. And already in the class of 2026, you have Frank Gore, Drew Brees, Larry Fitzgerald, Jason Witten and Marquise Pouncey; those are those are five guys right there who are probably Hall of Famers, um, and they will be first time eligible that year. So, I don't know if you get caught up in the first ballot or not, but you know, what do you think is kind of the the biggest argument? I guess in addition to the fact that he's you know sixteen thousand yards and number three all time, what do you think the biggest argument for Frank Gore just not waiting and being a first ballot guy is?
2: Well, of course, I'm biased, um, you know, because I love Frank and a and person. I think he deserves it. I've been lucky enough for my years of being of in the NFL to be around first ballot Hall of Famers and really legit, you know, the Brett Favre, Reggie White, guys like that. I mean, hands down first ballot guys. Frank fits right in that category of being around him, not just as a football player, but as a person and what, what he's done for the game. Um, I look at it as do not the impact the team in, in the good manner, of course, which they do would they impact the position overall for the NFL? And I think once he became the starter and once people realized who he was and what he was, people started watching him. We're talking about guys that are in the Hall of Fame now, not just not just running backs, but offensive players saying, well, why is he keeping better? And everybody says he can't do it, but yet he does it. And he does it and does it and does it. And I think him bringing that makes him unique. And the guys you mentioned, they're all worthy. There's no doubt about it. And there's people that aren't in yet that are worthy of it and have been on and have been eligible to go in. Um, you know, if he doesn't go in first ballot, I think he'll be very disappointed. Um, I will not be because I know he'll get in and he deserves to get in. And I think people look at him that understand football as a first ballot in their mind. And that's what he has to get in his mind if he's not the first ballot, because people see him as that, that, that no football no know him.
0: Yeah, I agree. He, he will be in. I just don't, I mean, I hope he's first ballot, but sure. you, you just never know. Um, hey, Scott, can you stick around a little bit? I want to talk about the current 49ers after this word from our sponsor.
2: Yes, I will. Win a Ford F-150 at Great Resort and Casino. One truck winner and $50,000 in cash each Friday. Drawings on the last Friday of the month. Win a new truck with Creighton Resort and Casino's big Ford truck giveaway.
0: All right, we're back on 49ers Talk with Scott McLuhan, former 49ers general manager. And we talked a lot about Frank Gore and just what a, a memorable player he is, one of the all-time most popular 49ers, of course. And, Scott, tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. I know you're still doing a lot of scouting, so you're up to date on the draft every year. Tell me what you got going on.
2: You know, I, I have my own business. It's called Instinctive Scouting. I've, I've been doing it since I left at the time. as was the Washington Redskins. Now it's it's commanders. But uh, – I enjoy it, you know, it's, it's not travel ball. I, I, I work for some GMs and teams that are friends of mine that I started in the business with similar age, came up from the bottom, the way up. So I try to help them and, and, and they do a nice job keeping me busy with, with players each year, mainly college guys. Um, I work for a couple of agents, bigger agents that I respect and, and try to help them to point them in the right direction, you know, for players coming up in the draft. So, you know, I, I do like last year, I probably wrote over 250 reports um, and it's not every top player. It's, it's the teams will send me 100 names to 150 names. And sometimes they overmatch. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's unique because I can tell exactly what they want to do in the draft, you know, because one team sends me 12 tight ends. I'm like, OK, well, they're, they're, they're going to draft one or two tight ends, you know, but it, it's fun because most of the guys I see are good players. And then and then the agents will bring guys like, you know, they, they don't want top guys. They want fifth through seventh with the lower maintenance, lower cost to train them and that kind of stuff. So it's great. Like I said, the main things I get to help people out that I respect and, and, and are friends of mine. And, and I, I like having the ability to do that.
0: Well, I would like to ask you about some of the guys, the 49ers drafted, um, uh, I'm assuming you can you can speak to these players. Uh, I,
2: I will definitely speak to the ones that I that I did for other teams that I did a full report on. I mean, I watched 2020 tape, 2021 tape, and have a pretty good feel for what they can and can't do now. I don't deal with any medical or background when I evaluate it for the teams. It's just pure talent where I see them playing and all that.
0: Okay, well, let's start off with Drake Jackson, the yeah. defensive end, edge Rusher from USC. Four take him in the second round. What are they getting with Drake Jackson?
2: You know what? He, he, very unique guy, because in my personal opinion, there's a lot of not a lot, but there's some unanswered questions, because if you watch them off of 2021 tape, you think strictly as a three, four outside linebacker slash DPR designated pass rusher, um, you know, but very young guy. And he comes to the combine. He's 20, 20 plus pounds heavier. So you're like, OK, this, is that good? Meaning he can still move the same with this added weight? Or is he going to lose because he has a, a great initial first step and he's got some legit NFL pass rush ability. That's an athlete with flexibility and all that stuff. But if, with adding the weight could be a good thing, meaning he, then you got the versatility of maybe playing at some of five, possibly some of three technique because he's a long arm sucker. Like I said, he's young. I mean, he, got, he, he might keep, you know, weight-wise. The, the important thing is this year is see how he carries it. Can he play 20, 25 pounds heavier, move inside a little bit on certain schemes, or does he need to go back down to what he was this past season at SC and just be considered, you know, a wiry, young, designated pass rusher slash outside linebacker? Because the best thing he does is go forward. Mm -hmm. And as you're well aware with the NFL, pass rushers are unique and hard to find. And the unanswered questions are positives but could be negatives. But I give the fact that he's young, but it was interesting. He shows up at the combine he's a different guy. You're like, that can't be him. There's no way that's him. They're like, yeah, he's young. He's growing. The agents, you know, had him, had him eating, feeding him right. So it'll be interesting how he goes this training camp, how his weight is, and if it fluctuates. But a lot of upside, a lot of upside. And I guess definitely a first round pick with potential wise.
0: Yeah. So last year, the 49ers took Trey Sermon in the third round, running back from Ohio state. They also have Elijah Mitchell, Jeff Wilson. And then this year they take another running back in the third round. This is Ty Davis price from LSU. Any thoughts on how he transitions as a kind of a bigger back into the NFL?
2: I know that now I did not do a full report on him, but I I know him because I watched those teams, you know, especially the bigger Kings offense defense. He, uh, I like the fact, like you said, a bigger, bigger body guy, a kind of a no-nonsense guy. Um, again, not a lot of production over career, not a lot of touches over career, which is, in my opinion, is a good thing. You know, because back in the day, those guys would get too many touches. They come in, and you hope you get them three, because they're so banged up. But I like the fact he was no nonsense between the tackles, downhill guy. It was a tough guy.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Danny Gray, the uh, the speedy receiver from smu did you get a chance to watch him
2: you know i did not fully but i know him from the standpoint he uh nice size excellent excellent play speed um at really good production this last year um you know i, I think he needs to grow up physically strength wise and maybe toughness wise so he can play bigger against the corners in the nfl but that's all part of the process but a very interesting pick because if you hit you got you, you got a big play guy
0: -hmm. Do you know much about Spencer Burford? He played tackle at Texas San Antonio, and then also Nick Zakel, another tackle at Fordham. And the 49ers envision both of those guys sliding inside to guard, and maybe even Zakel from Fordham, potentially a future at center. Do you know anything about those two?
2: Of the three, I mean, I know they took another one. Burford, just so you know, every NFL team that hired me this past year and every agent I worked for all had. I me mean, do reports on So he was, he was on the radar. So I know him. Um, a small school guy from, from San Antonio, played right there, but talented, um, does some unique things. I personally think he could be a tackle. I think in, in two, three years, he just needs to play and, and, and understand the importance of each play. Because he got away with things, you know, at UTSA, that he's not going to get away with, you know, in camp and in the NFL. Because he, he has good feet, he has flexibility, he has length. Um, you know, so be interesting. I liked him. I gave I gave him a solid grade knowing that you're not going to see it right away. But you might have something two, three years in there if if the interviews were good and he understands football and he understands the toughness part of, of the offensive line because because the, the natural physical skills were there for sure. Yeah.
0: Um, and there's two uh, corners, uh, Sam Womack, and they envision him as as a nickelback. Uh, potentially a guy who could compete to take over for Kwan Williams, and then a, a true cornerback, uh, Tariq Castro-Fields from Penn State. Um, any thoughts on those two, Womack and Castro-Fields?
2: I think their, their best bang for the buck was getting Castro-Fields. I think he's, he's a bigger version of Shante Spencer. I think he's going to play, and he's going to play well. Now, he played a lot of football at Penn State, and I did him two years in a row. He, he just wouldn't come out. He kept going back for another year. Um, but a very intelligent player nice size. Um, he's probably going to end up being more like a cover two zone type guy, which is fine. Um, I know he ran better than I, I thought he would at the combine, but when it's all said and done, he's a pretty good football player. And I'm not so sure if you need that. He can't be a backup safety early, you know, because he has a size for it and he'll tackle when it's, when he needs to, but he, there's, there's some good receivers that came out of the big 10 the last couple of years and he's a 50 50 guy i mean he competes with them he doesn't back down from it i thought that where they got him i think that's a steal i think that's the best pick they had in the draft just because where they got him
0: wow hey uh now that we're a year removed but you know a year ago obviously we were talking about trey lance and this year we're still talking about trey lance because we didn't see much of him as a rookie do you just do you have any thoughts um where the 49ers selected him at number three over the guys, they selected him. And they kept Jimmy Garoppolo around for one season. And now, you know, there's they're in this kind of no man's land of wanting to trade Garoppolo, but no team's gonna trade for a quarterback who can't throw. He, he, he it's a non-guaranteed contract. So if you you, you want to trade him, but if you don't trade him, you can't trade him do you hold on to him and that money when that money could be going to other players like Debo Samuel and Nick Bosa down the road? Do you have any thoughts? And it certainly sounds like the 49ers are moving on, you know, to Trey Lance. Do you have any thoughts about that quarterback situation and, and the potential of Trey Lance?
2: You know what I, I, I do personally, but I can't really answer that question from the standpoint, like you said, he hasn't played enough. Um, I really like this upside coming out. Apparently they did. Um, and, and, you know, and, and with Kyle, they have a really good quarterback coach, you know, so they saw enough to do that. Now, will he be the guy? Who knows? That's something you have to see in practice every day, in the meeting rooms every day, and see from last year at this juncture to this year at this juncture, how's he growing, you know, mentally, physically, um, techniques, mechanics, all that stuff. So they, they, they know. But also, me personally, as a GM, I'd much rather have a guy in paying him money in knowing that, listen, Trey might be the guy taking over game five or six, but, you know, if JJ's shoulder's good, which, I, which I'm sure it's going to be, Jimmy's shoulder going to be good, that he – you want to win games. You want to win games early in the season. You have to. And if you, if you go into the first week or go through training camp and you say this is our best option to win the first four games, six games, and then hopefully Trey can slide in then, you keep both of them because I'd much rather pay that guy and guarantee and it's guaranteed or whatever for the year than worry about paying, you know, a backup guard, a backup corner, a backup pass rusher, which are all important, but not as important as a quarterback, you mm-hmm. know, and now with 17 games and it's going to be 18 before we know it, you need two quarterbacks, you know, and there's, there's no rush in, in, from the outside looking in to get Trey in there, but there's rush to win games. And, you know, if Jim was going to give you the best chance to my personal to win games, he's your guy you know, and the players believe it and the locker room believes it and it's going good training camp and the shoulders bounce back and he's throwing the ball or maybe he's throwing the ball better than, than the rolled. But, you know, the thing with Trey, he's got a lot of football left in his life, a lot of football left. And, you know, we won't know about the trading up or the pick or what he is until he gets out there. And when we get two, three, four years in, into it, and then, you know, I'm pulling for the guy. I think the guy's super talented. I think the guy sounds like a great person, a great teammate doing everything right. Um, and you know a lot of media's on him, and it's not his fault. You know they're saying he can, they're saying he can't. No one knows except the people in that building that see him every day. You know, so I can't answer it even close. But like I said, it's good to have two quarterbacks and know that you got one young one that's going to be a superstar in your opinion, but you got one that's already an Alex Smith, meaning he's Mr. Dependable. You know exactly what player you're going to call. You know exactly what you're going to get out of him every week, yeah. and and that's a good feeling as a fan and as as a coach.
0: <laughs> you know. Uh... Scott, I guess we're you know we're so in tune to the 49ers, and maybe we don't have that global view of what's going on around the NFL. But uh, through your eyes, where where are the 49ers as far as just the talent on their roster? Um, do you consider them, you know, a top ten talent team, top five? Like, where, I don't even know if you would do that. But where, where do you think they are? are? is this team ready
2: to? I- I think, I, think it's, I think it's ready now to, to definitely be a contender. Um, I saw him play live last year. I went out to uh, Patrick's, you know, ring of honor induction. So I stayed for the game. And, you know, I follow him still, of course. And if healthy, if healthy, they're, they're a good football team. And they, they can play with anybody. Now, the key thing is going to be, is that anybody meeting with Jimmy? Or we're going to roll the dice and and is it possibly with Trey when we don't know for sure if it's going to be with Trey until the bullets start flying week in and week out. That's a dilemma that you have. But again, if you're around these guys every day, you know those answers 80% in your own mind, you know, who's making the decisions on it, you know, but it's nice to know what you have in Jimmy and know that your team can win now instead of saying with Trey, it'd be like, when I first got there, it'd be like, okay, we got outs, we're gonna start from really ground zero and try to build inside out as much as possible and get this thing right culture wise, you know, environmental locker room wise, they're already there. And then they have Pro Bowl players. They have all pro players, you know, and, and that's a good thing to have. But the the guy calling the shots in the huddle, the guy coming to line scrimmage, making the do the players on third and eight believe in him. He's the guys get it done. Or they're like crossing their fingers and the coaches crossing their fingers, like hopefully he sees this. They're gonna show this. Hopefully he sees that. I think with Jimmy, you get that feeling. With Trey, not yet, just because you haven't seen it enough. You know, practice is practice, and that's great. But once the game gets rolling and those fourth quarters come along, that's when the quarterbacks separate themselves. And it's it's always nice to have a play a signal caller that the the 10 guys in the huddle believe what he's calling. No, there's a chance we're gonna get this. You know, where it's like, well, shoot, we, we, we might, hell, it might be a touchdown. Uh, we might be a loss. might be an interception, might be a fumble, you know? So, but I think, I think they're a good football team. I think they're coached very well. Um, like I said, when I was out there, they are banged up a little bit. And, uh, and it seems to happen each year, but that's, that's the business and that's the profession, you know, they stay healthy though, but I mean, they, they proved it. Even last year, they can play with anybody. And, and that's all you ask for. And when you get to the right, in the playoffs, you know, the first year I was in green Bay, we won a Super Bowl. Every starter that started on offensive defense week one started in the Super Bowl. That's just pure luck. Yeah. I mean, think about that. I mean, pure luck. And, and we won the Super Bowl, you know, because that happened. And, you know, I, but I, if they stay
0: healthy, they're definitely contenders. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Scott, I appreciate you joining us on 49ers Talk. And, uh, you know, I reached out to you when, when Frank Gore, announced his retirement, something that we thought would never happen. They'd have to cut that jersey off of him. I mean, he's got, I think you've said this before, but is where does he rank among your favorite draft picks ever?
2: Well, just because he won't leave me alone, call me all the time. He's probably number one, because if I didn't say that, he'd get really, really mad at me. he's <laughs> boxing, I don't need him coming after me with his uppercuts. So, But you know what? Um, and again, the football player is a football player, but as a person. We have a friendship, like I, like I told you, and he's not, and I probably should say it, but I see him as like a son to me because, you know, he's been through a lot in his life, and he's still going through stuff in his life. And he's just, you know, like you said, people first meet him or, you know, even when they had the Wunderlich score coming out, they're like, well, is he smart enough? I'm like, guys, wait till you talk to him. Go, let him play a game. He'll tell you on third and six with 415 in the third quarter what the middle linebacker did, what the Sam did, what the Will did and why he set up the safety on the first cut, knowing he's on these five yards back on the second cut. It's just, he's such an intelligent guy. But I have to say, number one, I've been around some really, really good football players and drafted some really good people. He, as a package, is excellent, you know. I mean, and, and, and well-deserving everything he's getting. And, you know, they, there's not a lot of people out there wired like him and what he's been through, and you know, not just medically, but other stuff. And, and the guys, you know, it, it, that's why I had the Hall of Fame stuff so, important in my mind because it identifies a, not just the player but the person and what he does for the position what he did for the game really especially with the 49ers i mean i know when, when we talked about there they got the super bowl you know but he's a big part of that and you know when my first years there with him those guys it was tough you know but none of those guys backed away you know none of those guys turned around they accepted it and kept getting better and better and frank uh, frank's a big part of that
0: you know? yeah and, I mean, man, your drafts, you know, uh, Patrick Willis, Hall of Fame finalist, you know Joe Staley. I mean, the, you 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 brought some talent to the 49ers and some well, it was, old-timers. It was, a
2: good group. it was a good group of scouts. I mean, we, we, and, you know, and I think we're all on the same page, and the coaches were good, too, and understand and listen. It's nice to hit the home run and get the fans excited about, you know, the Kuiper, McShay pick and all that. I said, guys, I said, the football player, we'll identify that. and we said, We'll identify the scheme where he fits, but... What we need to identify the most important is what's inside these cats. Because I've drafted, I've been lucky enough to be around a lot of good players and, and, and high draft picks who aren't good players. And there's one usually riding line that makes them different, either they can or can't, is what's inside them. Is the passion, is competitiveness, is the team and not the me, you know. And a lot of those guys we brought in were all about team, all about team. And I think that kept us going through the tough times. And I think it eventually got that whole group to a Super Bowl, which they deserved, you know? And it's, uh, but I had a lot of good people around me and, and the ownership was great. And I'm telling you, when we were rolling and you saw what came out of it, you know, a lot of these players I still talked to, I brought some of the other teams with me, you know? And they, uh, just good guys. And, and, and the reason I brought them wasn't so much that they were still really talented, you know? But what, they, what they've been through and how they're wired and, and how the, the, the intelligence, toughness, passion, and good guys, just good community guys, not out there getting in trouble, you know. Which nowadays it's such a big thing, but those guys never did that, you know. They kept fighting, and and Frank was a big part of it. But you're right, Staley Willis. I mean, all those guys, look at Al Smith, what he did and what he went through. And I mean, these I mean, you got to remember this offense is the guys started five. We had five offense coordinators the first five years, you know. I mean, so you learn, you know, new schemes, and you got a new voice telling you certain things, and. That's not easy for anybody, especially a quarterback, but like running backs and that stuff because it's different, different philosophies, you know? So those guys even had to overcome that, you know? And they did. They stayed in there and kept going. And it was a good group. It's it's a fun group. I don't know. That. I'm going back out there. I'll be out there for Frank's thing. I'll see a lot of those guys again. But it's funny. I was sitting there with Patrick's life. It was me, Alex, Joe, and Patrick just sitting there talking. I'm like, wow, you know, these guys, you know, because they were all, all first-rounders, you know? I'm thinking to myself, if Frank was here, I'd tell him, you know, that's the, that's my best pick. But you know, I wouldn't have done it. But still, it's just cool to see those guys and talk to them and see they're still successful in life, even without football. You know, and that's what you the kind of guys you want to bring in your building. And it worked out well for us. And we, we got lucky with some of them. There's no doubt about it. Frank was lucky. I mean, if I was such a good GM. Why not take him in the first? You know, not say. Well, I knew I could get him in the third. I didn't know that. But just the medical. But still, great group. You know, ownership down. Yeah, I still pull for him. I mean, it's the fans deserve it. And they got good, they got a good product. and They're doing a good job there.
0: All right. Well, Scott, hey, I appreciate your time. And I'm sure I'll see you out here at Levi stadium when uh, Frank Gore is inducted into the Forty ers hall of fame. I look forward to seeing you.
2: All right, man. Thank you for your time, but I appreciate it.
0: All right. Well, I took a lot of Scott McLuhan's time. Um, I hope you, you remained awake during that. Jennifer, you were able to, uh, listen to what, what Scott had to say, but probably the most interesting thing was what he said about how he would think about the quarterback position. And he said, There's no rush for Trey Lance to play because Trey Lance is 22 years old and he's under contract for a couple more years because there is a rush to win football games. And ultimately, the 49ers have to decide which quarterback gives them the best chance of winning football games at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. And hearing that, I understand it. I, I think that, yes, that's probably a good approach. But my belief is in everything the 49ers have been saying is that they believe that when the season starts, it's going to be Trey Lance who gives them the best chance of winning football games.
1: I think so too. I mean, all signs point to that. And I just don't think that Jimmy Garoppolo wants to return to the 49ers. Now, who knows? It may happen, but would you really, I mean, just the sense that we got after talking to him, saying goodbye to the media, to the fans, I just don't think he is going to turn the page backwards and go back to 49ers backup or not. I think it's Trey Lance's turn to be the leader of the team. He's already stepped into the role very quickly And you can see it, his poise and presence on the field. I just, you look at the supporting cast around him. I think they're set up for success. So I think the best shot they have is for Trey Lance to be under center.
0: Yeah, listen to this question. This comes from Talk to Bloom. I think Jimmy G is a realist. If he's going to wind up starting the season as a backup, shouldn't he prefer to do it with the 49ers where he knows the system and can work at a high level if called upon, even if it means taking a pay cut? It's a great question. And I I would think that that would be what the 49ers would pitch to him Mm -hmm. if they decide that, okay, Trey Lance is a starter. Gosh, you know, we would love to keep Jimmy at, let's say, 7 million a year and 8 million or whatever the case may be. And now it's up to them to convince Garoppolo that the 49ers remain the best place for him. But like you said, you you just get the sense that, you know, I I think Jimmy, wasn't Jimmy's final words to us? Um, Basically, it's been quite a ride or something along those lines and it clearly he had already come to the, Oh, I was going to say realization, but it hasn't mm-hmm. been realized yet, but he came to a pretty, I mean, he came to the understanding within himself that this was it. He's right. done with the 49ers right. and he's going to be moving on. And then of course, the shoulder surgery, no team trade for him. And now he's still kind of twisting in the wind. Um, Well, And there's
1: that one, the interviews that he said, you know, he would wish that on his worst enemy, his worst friend. So I don't think he wants to go through it again. I mean, he's played well enough. He's respected enough in the league, great guy in the locker room. If you know, what's going to happen where a quarterback on another team is going to get injured and there's, they're going to need somebody. Now, I know Baker Mayfield's out there as well and not yet, but you know, he's on the team and the Cleveland Browns have another quarterback on their roster. So, you know, both of those guys are potential quarterbacks. Other places where, if there's an injury or if there's some sort of happening where the quarterback can't play, they're ready to step in. And those guys are pretty much plug-and-play players, right? So they yeah. know the NFL, they know the system. They're—I mean, you look at what Jimmy Garoppolo did when he first came to the Niners. Quickly took over. Spent weeks, the you know, in Rich Gengarillo's office got down the playbook, the parts that he could do, and they put him on the field and he was very successful. So I don't see that being a problem with him being successful with another team quickly.
0: Yeah. I, I my thought would be in the four certainly wouldn't want to hear this. Uh, but if I were a team looking for a quarterback, I would be more apt to make a trade for Baker Mayfield than I would for Garoppolo because Garoppolo I don't see why a team would trade for garoppolo because his contract's 25 million dollars and it's not guaranteed and so at some point you'd you'd be playing this game of chicken with the 49ers like well why would we trade for him because we don't think you're going to keep him at 25 million when Mm -hmm. you're sending the you know the the smoke signal to everybody that trey lance is going to be the starter And I wouldn't think that the 49ers, well, let's, let's go to this question here. Maybe this question kind of, this comes from uh, game agent ET interested teams want the Browns to eat some of Baker Mayfield's guaranteed salary for this year to facilitate a trade because Jimmy's contract isn't guaranteed. Could the 49ers just trade him as is and have the other team negotiate a new salary with Jimmy without eating the cap? Well, yes but you wouldn't trade that there would be no the reason for a team to trade him or trade for garoppolo because if you're gonna not if you're not going to pay him that 25 million if you're garoppolo and a team just traded for you why would you then say oh i'm going to take less money because you don't have to
1: right he's in control
0: of the situation he's in complete control of the situation and with the browns the Browns are in a position where absolutely if it meant having to pay or having to eat some of Baker Mayfield's salary, 100% they would, or they Mm -hmm. should, because that's guaranteed money, $18 million guaranteed. So even if they, if they trade Baker Mayfield and they have to pay all, but 2 million of that, they're still saving 2 million and they're getting a draft pick. They wouldn't have gotten Mm -hmm. with the 49ers. Or, or another team, you know, with the 49ers, why would the 49ers pay a percentage of Garoppolo's salary when they would would say, you know, that was not guaranteed anyway, take the full 25 million in, in savings that you can redistribute throughout your your roster, mm-hmm. unless the team says, if you pay 12 million of it, we'll give you a second round pick. You know, that would be the only way yeah, they would do it. So I, I just don't, I still think the most likely scenario is that the foreigners have a very difficult time finding a trade partner. And then it gets into training camp and, and Trey Lance shows enough where they're thinking, well, we can't keep a backup quarterback making 25 million. So let's just save the 25 million and, and allow Jamie Garoppolo to, be a free agent in essence, work out his own contract. And it very well might be as the, or one listener suggested that he sees all the options out there and ultimately decides, you know what, maybe the Forty hours are my best option to come back. It wouldn't be his first choice. Nope, no question, (laughs) but it very well might be that that's one of the only choices.
1: Yeah. It could be one of the only choices.
0: Yeah, And so that's still, it, it's it's going to be fascinating because it's getting to that point now where Jamie Garoppolo is going to be cleared very mm-hmm. soon to play football. And that's, that's a big time for the 49ers to then, I'm sure they've kept in contact with some of these teams. I'm sure they've kept in contact with Carolina and mm-hmm. just said, you know, hey, he's expected to be cleared around this time. Mm -hmm. What's the situation, but it's just, it's nowhere near as simple as everybody thought it would be when the season ended. And, you know, I thought, and I'm sure everybody around the league thought that Garoppolo would be on a new team at the start of the new league year in mid-March. And that hasn't happened. And there's really no indication right now where he's going to end up, but I guess because he's still with the 49ers. Mm Mm-hmm if you're a betting person, that's probably still the odds on favorite, because that's, he's on the 49ers right now. And right. something will have to happen for him not to be on the 49ers. And when that happens, if that happens, uh, how it happens, all that is a big old TBA.
1: It really is. It, I Do not Do you recall another situation like this, where you don't know where a quarterback would yes. be going? Yes. Oh, okay. it, it was
0: Colin Kaepernick.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. It was Colin
0: Kaepernick when that off season, when he was oh, so close Mm -hmm. to be traded to the Broncos Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: every side kind of blamed the other side, the Broncos wanted Kaepernick to take a pay cut and that money was guaranteed. They wanted him Uh to take a pay cut or they also wanted the 49ers to pick up some of the the financial burden. And so the Broncos were kind of upset with Kaepernick for not taking the, the pay cut. They were also upset for the for, with the 49ers for not getting the deal done. 49ers were upset with the Broncos for not paying the full salary. They were upset at Kaepernick for not taking the lesser salary with the Broncos.
1: There's a lot and, of upset people there.
0: And Kaepernick was like, upset with uh or had reason to be upset with the broncos for not wanting to pay the full amount and upset with the 49ers for not kicking in some money so there was just a lot of blame all the way around but i remember you know very much like this offseason i mean i had the i was ready yeah i I was ready to any point for something to happen with with kaepernick and that would have been leading into the 2016 season Mm -hmm. and nothing ever happened and he ended up you know starting about half the season, I think, uh, with the team, right. Um, Mm -hmm. that year, his final year with the 49ers. So yeah, it, it, that would be the closest thing. And also the other parallel is it's very similar because Kaepernick had, you know, was coming off the the surgery as is Garoppolo. So there were, there were other, there were similar things going on both physically, financially Mm. and, and everything else. So that would be the the closest thing that I can come to as far as uh, a comparison to what's going on with the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo this off season.
1: There's so many unknowns at this point where Garoppolo will play, what he wants to do. It doesn't sound like he has spoken to anyone with the club and they're really just, you know, I guess it's kind of a wait and see thing. So we will wait and see and we'll wait and see till the uh, next 49ers talk episode.
0: Thanks for listening to 49ers Talk with Matt Mayoko. Please rate, review, and subscribe
2: for free on your podcast provider.
1: Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the
2: right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate,